You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to Pod Like a Raven. I am Antonio Barbera, joining you here in the second episode of the week. After one of the strangest NFL weeks in many years, with the Ravens coming off of a Wednesday afternoon nail-biter. Strange nail-biting loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, starting off with Tim Horsey. Tim, how you, how you doing this day? You know, I'm feeling pretty bad, and it's not because of the Ravens' loss, which we'll talk about, but it's more because I think I lied to the listeners. I told them, it'll be fine, just watch the game, try and enjoy it, have a cocktail or two, you know, don't stress out about it. And it took all of, I don't know, six minutes for me to start losing my mind because it was Raven Steelers. Um, so apologies, listeners, that I didn't. It's do as I say, not as I do. Apparently, here on Pod Like a Raven. But uh, but outside of that, I'm I'm doing okay, my friend. It, the problem with that was that none of us really thought this game was going to be close after five or ten minutes, and just that little bit of optimism uh, that'll get you. That'll get anybody. Uh, and then joining us on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how are you, man? Doing well. Uh, similar to Tim, um, I uh, I started out the our, our Wednesday afternoon football that started at twelve uh, forty p.m. Pacific time out here. Um, I, I I started it off just laughing at almost every play. It was a real comical start to events, and then as the game was oddly closer than it should have been, the Ravens, you know, leading after the first quarter. 
and then should have been leading at halftime. We'll get into that, but the half the sequence of events right before halftime resulted in me laying face down on my living room floor uh, in just dejection. So, similar to Tim, I got sucked in, I think, a little more than I anticipated, but uh, all in all, probably still the least unbothered I've been by a Ravens loss to the Steelers in quite a while. Um, but, yeah, it was a weird game. Very deeply strange game from it being the way the game happened, it being staged on Wednesday afternoon. A lot of weird odds and ends to get into, I'd say. So we'll talk about that game in a second, but I just want to bring up quickly that since we don't have any NFL games to talk about, we talked about that just a few days ago, we will be talking about the Ravens-Steelers previewing Ravens-Cowboys, which is going to be on Tuesday of next week. And then taking a look at the AFC and NFC playoff picture as we get close to the quarter, last quarter of the NFL season here. Uh, But first, let's get into this Ravens game. As Jace mentioned, as Tim mentioned, heartbreaking, strange, bizarre to just be watching football at 3.40 Eastern on a Wednesday. And then after a couple of plays, it was not only a weird time, but just a weird game. Four turnovers in the first quarter combined by both teams. Uh, the Ravens, 7-6 to six lead, zero passing first downs from RG3. That would be a, a pattern that would continue throughout this game. <laughs> Thoughts on the first quarter of this game, guys, and, and at what point, was it this early in the game or was it later where we started to, you started to look and realize this is going to be one of those ugly, close games that the Ravens are going to be messily involved in for probably way too long? For me, I think it was halftime. And we'll talk about halftime in a second and the debacle there. But as soon as the Ravens failed to convert at halftime, I was like, they're going to regret that. Like, this game is just going to be close enough where they're going to regret that. And it ended up happening, obviously. Who knows how the second half goes if the Ravens score there, what have you. We'll get into that in a second. But the first half, man, I mean, and look, we said it in the text group, and I think we should just start off doing it. Let's roast the Steelers. They stink. Are you kidding me? That team is 11-0. Deontay Johnson couldn't catch COVID on Wednesday. He was dropping every single ball. Ben Roethlisberger just uh, the whole time they're talking about he gets the he gets it out so quick, so quick, so quick. That's great, but if his wide receivers can't catch anything, it doesn't matter. It was the epitome of playing down to competition. And for me, I'll say it, and I, I've – look back at some records and look back at some of the undefeated teams and things. I haven't dove extensively in, but I can say with full confidence, this is the worst 11 and 0 team of all time in the history of the yes. national football league. And I hope the bills just smack them in a couple of weeks. I don't have any faith in the Washington football team to do it. Uh, this coming, this coming Monday, I hope somebody smacks them before the regular season or by God, if they meet the chiefs, it is over because the Chiefs are going to lay 100 on them, and that offense, that Steelers offense, is not going to be able to do anything to keep up. So that was my initial takeaway through all of this. I mean, RG3 is giving the ball away to the Steelers team, and Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Fame quarterback, as much as it pains me to say, Hall of Fame quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, is just giving it right back. It was horrific. I mean, if I, you heard Tomlin post game. He was pissed off. He said they played like a JV team. And we can debate how much of it is weird schedule and, uh, oh, they were just catering to the Ravens, playing this on Wednesday afternoon or whatever. 
you're the number one seed in the entire league and you played like that. I mean, it's embarrassing. And and no, I'm Tim, not deflecting. Tim, I love that we get to talk about that the Steelers are bad so early in this episode. I, I looked a little bit, I, I believe as you did, into some numbers here. The Steelers are, I'm going to get this right, the Steelers are the 13th team to go 11-0 and in the Super Bowl era. Of the previous 12, five won the Super Bowl, and then another four of those teams went to the Super Bowl and lost. So by my math, that's, what was that, nine Nine of those teams went to the Super Bowl. There is no chance that the Pittsburgh Steelers go to the Super Bowl this season. That's my uh, very tame lock of the season. They're not good. They can't throw the ball past 10 yards unless they throw a deep ball and try to get pass interference with Chase Claypool. And End of that. Jace, I want to turn back to you for this as we get back to the Ravens game here. Thoughts on that first quarter and then going into the second quarter. Yeah, so for me, when I really knew we were in for a weird game because... Uh, our first series three and out, and strangely, I was like, "All right, that wasn't so bad." They faced like a third and four. That's <laughs> didn't get it, but I was like, eh, "That could have gone worse." Very next series, ball on the ground, <laughs> right? <laughs> Tried to make the exchange on a read option, you know, with I believe it was Gus Edwards and one Robert Griffin the third. So then I was like, "Oh boy," but then. The Steelers go for it on fourth down, which I kind of was confused by a little bit. And I, I was, uh, you know, only half listening to Chris Collinsworth, but it seemed like they kind of, he made the point. I think that like, I thought I'm like, kick the field goal. The Ravens aren't scoring like 20 points in this game. (laughs) Just take points and add points. But they went for it. Uh, Roethlisberger kind of just throwing it up because he had no other options. Uh, Easy interception. Uh, that then, of course, Tyus Bowser took out, setting up a just RG3 staring it down pick six. Like, that was as bad a pick six as you could throw. Just looked it in the whole way. But then, the, it, so that was what kind of what I was expecting. I was like, all right, RG3's bad. Here we go. This is going to be. And then uh, Boswell misses the extra point, And you're like, that's weird. Ravens immediate, like, three and out again. Uh, but then... That punt, they kick it, guy, you're like, why hasn't he fair caught? Why hasn't he fair caught? Never does, fumbles it immediately. (laughs) Anthony Levine scoops it up, and then that's at that point when I was like, all right, we are in for a weird one. (laughs) It did not really disappoint from there. Uh, You know, it's weird because I can only think of directly like four things that happened after that moment in this game because that's kind of... The way, I guess, a game goes when your starting QB has 33 yards. (laughs) But um, it was weird. The Ravens lead after one, and just kind of nothing happened. The Steelers kept not scoring in the red zone. That was kind of, I guess, if we want to look at positives, the defense, I thought, played very well. Um, But, yeah, it was a weird game. And that that fumble punt was when I knew we were in for a weird day, (laughs) especially. Real quickly, Antonio, before you get in. And, Jace, if you have one, then I'm adding one. Uh, what's bothering Tim for this week? Uh, just a quick one. Is Chris Collinsworth. And this is coming from a guy who really enjoys Collinsworth a lot of the time on Sunday Night Football. He has a lot of detractors. I myself am not one of them. But, by God, listening to him announce a, and as I put it in our text group, call one of these games with his legacy teams, the Steelers, the Packers, the Bears, if they were ever any good. Probably the New York Giants, whenever they're any good. 
I tell you, Mike, this is just the way the Steelers play. They've been doing it for years. Shut up. I, I could not say. It's worse when your team's losing to said legacy team. But the amount of things that I can't say that I would love to because it's a family show that he does to the other team and just sucks up to them. I'll put it that way. Over and over and over again for three and a half, four hours. And, and Antonio, as you point out, and I'll let you expand on this. It's almost like he was upset at this Ravens team for doing particular things wrong. And it's like, do you see who's on the field right now? It's like <laughs> East State Tech School for the Blind playing the 10-0 and Pittsburgh Steelers. What are we talking about? I just, I, I don't like to rail against commentators a lot of the time. Well, never mind. I spent all of last year railing against Dan Fouts. <laughs> But Chris Collins about Dan Fouts so much he retired. Yeah, right, right. He heard this pod like a raven, uh, this podcast, and he immediately retired. Or CBS finally came to their senses and kicked him off the broadcast. Collinsworth actually, I usually really enjoy, and I think he points out stuff immediately after plays that I that I love watching. But on Wednesday afternoon, man, he was unbearable. It did it's, seem like he didn't like want to be there. It was I, I think Wednesdays, the vibe I <laughs> Wednesdays are like whatever he has for dinner at his home on Wednesday nights. Like that's his favorite meal because he was extremely annoyed that he had to be at his job instead of at home Wednesday. I agree with you, Tim, 100%. I also like Collinsworth specifically because of how quick he is able to dissect line play or a matchup mm-hmm. between yep. a corner and a wide receiver three seconds, not even, after a play is over, and they were able to run a highlight of it so quickly in between plays. But he genuinely seemed annoyed at having to be there. He seemed annoyed at the Ravens. Every opportunity where a Steeler made a tackle who was questionable or injured, who had some COVID issues on the Thanksgiving day, he absolutely made sure to remind all the Ravens fans out there, ooh, that guy... He wouldn't have been there had the Ravens played Thursday. It's like, that's great. And then the Ravens would have had 12 players on the roster on Thursday. So I don't understand the point of, like, did the Ravens miss out by playing on Thursday when they didn't have a team? Because at least the Steelers would have had that one defensive lineman there. It was a strange argument to make. The whole game, he sort of seemed just frustrated at what the situation was instead of understanding that it was trying to get a football game played with healthy rosters without either team spreading COVID further. It just this struck a wrong tone for me from the beginning to the end of that game. Um, even in the closing, at, in the post game, he talked about his opinion is that COVID doesn't spread in the air outside, so the football game shouldn't be an issue. And I just, <laughs> missing the mark on a lot of this stuff for me with Collinsworth. And uh, I we'll see how he is in the weeks after this, but... I'm going to go back into the game now. This is a pot, you know, everybody's angry at Collinsworth this week, but back into the game because it's time to talk about it. Oh. Uh, we got to get to it at some point. After the Steelers tack on a few field goals to turn the game from 7-6 to 12-7 Pittsburgh, the Ravens making a little noise at the end of the first half. RG3 with what was, without a doubt, his best play of the game, scrambling for... Well, I shouldn't say scrambling. It was a designed run uh, for 40-plus yards. Uh, Justice Hill with a third and nine run uh, to get a first down, and it's goal to go in the last few minutes, and it's just then the halftime debacle. Uh, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to let you guys, whoever one of you wants to take this, without getting too upset, because there's a lot of things to unpack in these last few minutes. But, Jace, I'll turn to you from the moment that, 
the Ravens run it on what I saw, what I believe was first down, and it's now second and goal from the half yard line with a running clock. And I turn to you, Jace, now with what bothered you, what happened, what should have happened, and how many people can I blame? <laughs> I think there is no shortage of people to blame. Um, and like you said, a lot to unpack. So they call timeout with 26 seconds left. It is their final timeout after, you know, they have to blow a timeout uh, right before a second 10 with a 153 to go. Not great. So they're down to one timeout and they use it with 26 seconds to go. They then decide, now with no timeouts and 26 seconds left, that they are going to run directly up the middle. A, and it did not work out against a solid Pittsburgh Steelers team. Um, who I will say, uh, members of which wisely did not, uh, will say for now, make much effort to get up and get Lost lined up Lost the power again. of their lower extremities. Um, in which, in, in this case, there is, uh... They finally line up and snap with three seconds left. So now it's, this is the final play <laughs> after that mad unscrambling. And it looks like it's going to work out for them, right? Uh, the ball, it was a great play design, I thought. You know, you know they kind of fake it and RG3 rolls right, lost one. Pretty good touch, pretty decent throw to Luke Wilson. Um, but, you know, did he drop it? Did I believe it was Minka Fitzpatrick make a good play on the ball? I see both sides of it, <laughs> but you would have liked you would have liked it to be in his hands. It was in his hands, but he did not com- complete the process of the catch, which is what I mentioned earlier sent me spiraling out of my couch and to the floor in anguish. As now the Ravens had no none points and none time left on the clock. <laughs> it is halftime, and they are still down twelve to seven. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. I could, having set the scene, I could, uh, I'm sure you guys have thoughts. Uh, if you wanted to jump yeah, in. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick because yeah. I, the problem is I think the blame goes to almost everybody. It's yeah. There's like five parties to blame. It's, here. <laughs> and I'm not even going to put them in order, but it's, it's Luke Wilson, not catching that ball. I don't care if it's a good play. You're a big tight end. You come down with that yeah. ball. You, you catch the ball. We're having none of this conversation. Exactly. Now. Exactly. <laughs> Um, it's RG three who just, it was, and I love him to death, but it was Flacco reminiscent of just moving at this pace for everything. It's like, come on, man, light a fire under his butt. Let's do something. Come on, come on. It was, why don't you spike the ball after justice Hill, that justice Hill run. And then you have two plays and a timeout to save if you really need it. It's the referees who couldn't see this from Saturn. Like, you could, I'm sorry, you could see this from Saturn, that there were guys laying on him. Terry McCauley, who, by the way, in his day, not a great referee. He's in the booth. He saw it, too. (laughs) These guys are immediately laying. They're just laying on Justice Hill. They're laying on the linemen. It's a delay of game. And you can, any Steelers fan is going to do the same thing. Well, you guys would have done it in your position, and you can't just blame the refs for everything. The refs were atrocious in this game overall. I mean, this is, and we'll, we'll get back to this. This is the biggest incident. But you talk about on the first uh, series for the Steelers, Tyus Bowser getting the definition of held by the right tackle. 
the absolute definition of what holding is. Well, there's holding on every play. Yeah, this is the one that they call. Nothing. There's the Cam Hayward on the other side. There's the Cam Hayward roughing the passer on RG3. That's really bad. Which was atrocious. <laughs> it kept the drive going for us, so fine. It's one of the worst penalties I've ever seen in my entire life. They, Ron Torbert and his crew should be banned for the next three or four weeks, maybe even playoffs, and, and maybe just give them, you know, take a break. We'll see you in 2021. Because it was, it was a joke the way that game was refereed the entire time, and this was the epitome of it. And some of this falls on Harbaugh. It's combined with the, the, the RG3.2, but how do you not have any sense of, you know you cannot make any mistakes in this game, and you've already turned the ball over twice. So you really can't make any mistakes at this point. And this is the, the strategy here on the one-yard line. Also, by the way, to go back to the referees, I think there's a case that Justice Hill got in uh, when he ran there first. I think he might have. He was on the line there. There's something that under two minutes, maybe have a look. You know, maybe take a look at it. This is you do it in every other game. NFL games are now four and a half hours long because you feel like you got to take a look at everything. Why not take a look at that, huh? Maybe just just have a little glance. But no, no. So overall, it was just a horrific sequence from RG3 to Luke Wilson to John Harbaugh. To the referees, it's 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 inexcusable. It really is. Yeah, Tim, they can't. They couldn't have that game go too long because they had to take us to like Rockefeller Center, oh you God, know, for the tree lighting. So so that which was we didn't address this last week because we didn't know at the time. Just for anybody who hasn't heard, the reason this game was at three forty in the afternoon is because NBC wasn't going to give up the prime time slot of lighting the Christmas tree. So we got a three forty game. But anyway, the Tim, Christmas tree you, that. No one's probably supposed to go visit. No, no. I, by the way, I have I have on the boots reporting from this because a, a man I work with lives in Queens. You have to sign up to like schedule an appointment to go see the tree. So nobody's there for this tree lighting. I'm looking at a Christmas tree. It's beautiful. I'm I'm sitting right next to a Christmas tree right there. That's the only tree I need to see lit up. All that being said, I was pretty happy this game was over at what seven o'clock rather than. 11:30 our time. I'm I'm sorry Jace had to wake up earlier than, you know, 3 p.m. Pacific, but it that was nice. But outside of that, it's just the fact that it was a tree lighting that stopped everything was ridiculous. It, it was just surreal, I will say. Like I was thrown off all day cuz like I'm used to like, you know, a game ending and it you know, if it ends in the afternoon, that means it's Sunday, but it was Wednesday and then college basketball was like happening. <laughs> they were like what's going on? <laughs> I was uh, just all thrown off, but to um, take it back, yeah. To, let's bring. Yeah. Let's speaking bring it of back speaking of thrown off <laughs> to uh, the end of that half. I mean, you guys have made every point here. The only thing I will add is, in terms of parties to blame and frustration, is you know the only play that if it's not a touchdown won't result in a stoppage of the clock is a run directly up the middle. You are allowed to throw the ball on that down and save your time. You're allowed to try to run to the edge in that situation and go out of bounds or have an option where a player can throw the ball out of bounds if it's not there. And it's very frustrating that an offensive coordinator is not prepared for that type of play call when he knows that there isn't a timeout to be called. This is a play coming out of a timeout. You have plenty of time to schedule out, map out exactly what you need to have happen. 
and the play that they come up with out of a timeout is a run up the middle, and then a, which essentially ends the play. Aside from the referees messing up, which they 100% did, it is happening in front of the entire crew in slow motion that they're unable to see that Nope Steeler is getting up after the play's over. They had so much success on those outside runs where they would take either a tight end or, let's say, the right tackle and collapse the line and have everything else go outside of it. You could have run that in that situation where, worst-case scenario, you're able to get out of bounds. Or you can try to throw the ball, even though that had not been RG3's strength at that point. But it's a yard. It's not even a yard. Half a yard. You have to be better in that situation all around, and it was just infuriating going into halftime at that point. I think that's why, for me, I think most of the issue falls for this sequence on coaching. I mean, like I said, if Luke Wilson catches it, you know, that's player has to take. But, again, he wasn't on a team for a reason, right? Like, this is a practice squad guy who was not on a roster until we, like, needed, had, you know, both or every tight end injury and also Mark Andrews getting COVID um, or ending up on the COVID list. Um, so... Player, Luke Wilson aside, I think it has to come back to the coaching, whether that's Harbaugh, whether that's uh, Roman. You have to be in better communication with RG3. Like, if if he was the one responsible for taking that timeout on the field. Um, it's, it certainly seems like if you wanted to run it after the Justice Hill play, because there wasn't really a big pile, you could have gotten up quick, ran it, then called timeout. You could have spiked it because that... Uh, the Justice Hill run happens on first down, so the uh, the Gus Edwards stop is only on second down. So they had an extra down they didn't use. Um, there were just ways to preserve time and to get extra plays, different plays, um, and they didn't do it. And I can't say ultimately it directly cost them this game, but it's hard to say. You know, that would have been up at halftime, and this was a very strange game, and the Steelers didn't score over 20 points so I can't say for certain it didn't cost them but you would have just liked some better execution but I also think you know part of that comes back to they basically didn't practice and half these players don't uh you know aren't usually part of the plans anyway so plenty of blame to go around it was very frustrating I will say uh as aggravating as the Steelers stuff was I never expect refs to call that kind of thing. So I think that's, you know, not to pull a Mike Tomlin, but a control what you can control. And then in this case, it's the clock with your timeout management, clock management, timeout usage. Um, so would it have been great if they flagged the Steelers? Yeah, but I also will say it wasn't like the Ravens seemed to be especially like, get off me, let's get to the line. They kind of laid there, the linemen, for a while, too, uh, without seemingly really having a sense of the moment. So I ultimately fall on coaching, but it was definitely the defining moment of uh, the first half, I'd say. And probably of this game is the moment I'll be thinking about the longest. Well, to take you behind the curtain, it was when that play happened, or kind of later in the game, I guess, and we're all kind of plotting about how when we're going to talk about the game, when we're going to record the podcast, yada, yada. It was basically like, so we're just going to roast the Steelers and talk about that moment, right? Because there, there wasn't a ton else, and then we'll get to McSorley time, which I have a bunch of issues with uh, <laughs> later. But, um, Jace, I agree with you, and it feels like, and this can be biased Ravens fan talking, but as I say all the time on this podcast, you're a Ravens fan listening to this, or you're a masochist, so either way. <laughs> if they're never going to call that, 
especially in those games. They're not going to call it in Ravens Steelers. They're not going to call it in Ravens Pats. I'm sorry. There's some voodoo or whatever it is, or they get scared of the big moment. And the other reason they're not going to call it, and this is the part that frustrates me, because I don't, I don't disagree with you 100%, or I, I agree with you, but not 100%. Because I do blame the referees, because it's not, it's not like, oh, they're just not going to call it, so you have to control what you can control. The sheer ineptitude of the referees nowadays, and the idiocy, and the stupidity, and the moronic nature of these people who, for whatever reason, decide to grow up to be one of the most hated people in the sports world (laughs) will never not drive me crazy. And they feel like they've gotten worse and worse. Um, I remember when I was a kid, it was Ravens Raiders, and it was like a punt play, and Ed Hockley, hearing the name makes my blood boil even when I say it, called a foul against the Ravens and used the number of a guy that wasn't on the field at that time and was definitely on a Raiders player. And it was like Raiders number 37. There was no Ravens 37. It was a penalty against the Ravens on Ravens number 37. They didn't even have a guy 37 on the roster. I'll never forget this. And I thought that was the valley of where the ineptitude would be. I thought that was the lowest point the referees could get to. And it's only gotten worse. So, yeah, they're not going to call it, but I think part of that is because they all just suck. They're just so, so bad. Turning to the second half now with the Ravens trailing 12-7. We did not expect a lot from RG3 in this game. We expected some things from RG3 in this game. And after that 40-yard run in the first half, we saw very, very little from the Ravens offensively for pretty much a quarter and a half in the second half. All of the third quarter and even most of the fourth The Ravens punted, I'm counting this out, four times on four consecutive drives. The Steelers do score a touchdown on a long, sustained drive. They had a ton of issues in the red zone, which I do attribute a lot of to the Ravens' defense. Cannot give the Ravens' defense enough credit in this game, being on the field for long stretches, having the offense go three and out so many times and have them come back out onto the field, playing on the road without you know, several starters, three on the, I guess, two on the defensive line, no Judon in this game. And they held Pittsburgh in check for a long time. They fought, Pittsburgh finally breaks through with a touchdown to make it 19-7. And at this point, the game is, to most eyes, pretty much over. Uh, I'll let you guys talk about RG3 if you want to a little bit. And then I'm just going to tease the appearance in the fourth quarter. With I think his first drive was with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter is the Trace McSorley sighting third-string quarterback, the backup in this game. And he does some stuff, but thoughts on the third quarter and then the McSorley appearance in the fourth. I, uh, it's weird. I watched this entire game, and yet <laughs> uh, just, you know, zoned out, I feel like, for so much of the this third quarter because... Just nothing was happening. And I am completely, once the Steelers went up, you know, and, and on that drive where they go up 19-7, you have a, a Benny Snell run where it looks like they might hold him to a field goal. That was kind of the only real disappointing moment I'd say I had with the defense the whole day, really. Um, uh, but, you know, what What more can you ask them to do, kind of like? <laughs> it's, you know, you, you can, you hold the Steelers under 20 points. There's only so much you can do. Um 
And then uh, Juju, you know, stiff-arming Tremont Williams like halfway up the field. That was kind of upsetting a little bit, too. And he, he got a lot of run because uh, Jimmy Smith, um, we should say, groin injury, um, <laughs> appears to be set to miss his uh, customary few weeks um, here. And that's disappointing because he'd been playing really well this year. Um, so obviously you hope a speedy recovery. But Marlon Humphrey was awesome in this game. Uh, you know, two more forced fumbles in this contest. Uh, I thought Chuck Clark was really good, uh, for the most part, but yeah, just a whole lot of nothing. And I thought this game was over and yet one Trace McSorley finally sees, uh, action and hilariously throws a 70 yard TD to Hollywood Brown on the second to last series of the game. Uh, I thought it was very funny. The very first pass of this game went to Hollywood Brown uh, after seemingly the Ravens just somehow not getting him the ball for weeks on end. Uh, the fact that he he had that 70-yard TD somehow made me even more frustrated because I was just like, it was a horrible effort by the Steelers for the most part. But it is like, this is like what they should do with this guy. Just find a way to get him the ball in any kind of space. And he's supposed to be fast and he's supposed to run. And so I was... Despite it, you know, suddenly making this a five-point game, I got very kind of frustrated by our brief Trace McSorley experience. And then I questioned, should he have been in earlier? I don't know. I don't know what you all thought, but it was a very strange end to this game. I really, It really seemed like it was game over at 19-7, and then it kind of just, you know, the Steelers punt twice, the Ravens punt and bring in Trace McSorley, and then suddenly they hit one monster play and it's a five point game. So it was a very weird, not kind of nonchalant second half, but covered the spread. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I have, I have a lot of thoughts here. Um, first of all, the Hollywood thing, I'm, I'm still a little annoyed with his kind of immediate bad attitude about not getting the ball enough when he clearly doesn't make an effort to get the ball enough. And then when the ball goes to him, he drops it. But then in a game, where they kind of had to force feed him. He's still alligator arming some throws. I mean, there was a couple where you thought you were going to get a bit more of an effort out of him. Now, look, the other side of this, RG3 is done. I mean, he is finished as a quarterback. They they have to find another backup, and we'll get to Trace in a second. But they, they have to find another guy because it's not RG3. I get what they did. I get the leadership for Lamar and, like, coming in in kind of the same situation, all that stuff. Understand it. RG3 seems like a class guy. He can't play football anymore. Like, you, you can't. The Saints had Teddy Bridgewater go 4-0 last year in a spot role. The Ravens are going 0-4 and, you know, point differential of a billion if RG3 is the quarterback there. He's, just, he's finished. It, it, it's sad to say, but he is. Um, and even with some of those bad throws, there was a couple there where I just, I feel like, He's already a prima donna, and he doesn't have the right to be in Hollywood. Um, also, Chase Claypool, real tired of the whole looking for a flag every play. You haven't earned that yet, brother. Like, get out of here, Mapletron. Um, <laughs> he's going to be incredibly frustrating for years, by the way, because he's going to be constantly overrated because he wears a Pittsburgh jersey. And he's very good, don't get me wrong. But he's going to be, like, class of the NFL good, and I just don't think he's that good. Um on the McSorley stuff, before I get to the positives, I am it's it's a Ravens fan thing that like everybody is joking, even is a joke of like 
when Lamar's playing bad, time to get Trace in there. And there's some people in, like, Dundalk who want Trace McSorley to be the starting quarterback <laughs> of this team. And I don't understand it. And even I didn't see anything here. Everybody's like, yeah, he calmed down. He looked okay. I like the swagger. I like Minka Fitzpatrick de him and him getting up with a little bit of pep in his step. That's great. You know, I love a guy with confidence, but we have to stop with the whole, like, Trace McSorley, the god, TikTok star. I don't even know what his whole... <laughs> Apparently, he had, like, a rap song or something. There's a rap song, yeah. yeah. There's a Trace McSorley rap song out there. Okay. Cause By Trace Ravens... McSorley or about Trace McSorley? I think it's about him. I can't confirm if he said The Raven social media I feel and old. then, like, the check down, who <laughs> I'm going to get to in a second, and all those type of sites were, like tweeting out the lyrics to this rap song for Trace McSorley, which is great, fine, whatever. Again, I think he's nothing more than a third quarterback. Him and RG3 combined showed me that we need a backup for Lamar Jackson should injury or, you know, God forbid this COVID thing last longer than we want it to and he gets hit again later in the year or even next year. Um, they, they need somebody as a backup. The positives of all this, and Jace and Antonio, you both touched on it, the defense played awesome yesterday. It was, or excuse me, Wednesday. It was so cool to watch them. And the secondary in general. I got to give credit to Marcus Peters, a man who I have constantly said it can be streaky and I don't have a ton of faith in them. The guy balled out yesterday. He made some big hits. He wasn't afraid of a tackle. The check down showing everybody, oh, Benny Snell lit him up. Y- you remember that Marcus Peters made the tackle, by the way. He didn't get trucked and lay on the ground. He got trucked, and good on him. He looked around and slapped the guy's feet because the guy just can't control his feet. Slapped his feet, knocked him down. That was it. And I thought that was – and he, he really showed up. And then Marlon Humphrey, man, best player on the field by a mile. This comes from uh, Ken McCuskick at Film Study Ravens on Twitter if you don't follow him. He's very good at break. you know, one of these guys who gets the all-22 and breaks things down, yada, 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 if you're into that nerdy stuff. But – This stat that I love that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Marlon Humphrey became the second corner and only the 79th player in NFL history to record six forced fumbles in a season, and he did it in 10 games. Charles Tillman, I should say these records have only been kept since 1999, so it is a little bit, I shouldn't say NFL history, but still. 79th player overall to record six forced fumbles in a season and only the second corner, Charles Tillman, Peanut Tillman being the other one, obviously, Uh, He did it twice. This list is usually pass rushers. Marlon Humphrey already has six in 10 games, and he's going to get more. So, you know, all the negatives I can say about the offense and the ineptitude and all that stuff and clock management and whatever, the, the, the overwhelming positive that you hope, God, you hope they take into the next couple weeks is this defense is, is, rounding into form a little bit and they stepped up on a stage where they knew they had to step up and they played so so well uh on wednesday and, and just credit to them well and, and i think on them just with the short shorthanded on the d line and you know they're coming off a game where they get run over yet again or at least ground down by derrick henry certainly in the fourth quarter and overtime there uh and they were excellent against the run in this game not that i think the steelers can run it too well more of the i don't think the steelers are all that good uh they had to throw 51 times in this game that for god knows what reason that they should have (laughs) been leading the entire time but i I, i'm just echoing your point tim i'm there with you completely i thought the defense played uh really well and you certainly hope 
as guys hopefully come off the COVID list fine and able to go, like you get your Calais Campbells, your Brandon Williams, these kind of guys back. Uh, it bodes well, especially when you're adding a bunch of games you really have to win. Yeah, I, I think you guys nailed it. The only thing with McSorley is it would have been fun to get the ball back one more time. Tim, I don't, I don't. He didn't play great. He didn't even play well. He's a third stringer who also, on his own, did not really have any practice time for weeks because he was dealing with his own COVID stuff sort of a little bit before the big wave of uh, positives hit this team. But a few you know, frisky runs, a few nice passes. His first throw, to me, was comical because it was such a perfect third-string quarterback first throw where he missed a five-yard out by a good five yards. He was ex- <laughs> really short on the throw. So that was just uh, sort of the like groan and lean back, like this is going to be a disaster situation. But I thought he played okay, okay given the situation. Uh, was somewhat fortunate on that Hollywood touchdown pass. But it would have been it would have been fun, if not just to terrify Steeler fans everywhere, if the Ravens could have gotten the ball one more time. But... The sort of one negative for me of the defense here is this has been a the thing all season. When one thing goes, the other thing falls, and they were unable to stop the Steelers. They get two first downs, the second of which was questionable at best, and the first of which was Ben Roethlisberger backfooting a throw into triple coverage on a lob that could have been intercepted in theory sure. I... and ends in a perfect completion. Uh, which was frustrating to say the least, but all in all, guys, one of the more positive losses that maybe we can ever talk about for the Ravens, (laughs) given the situation, how close they made this game. The Steelers, they are now 6-0 in one-score games this year. Good luck with that the rest of the season. To me, this was the most moral of moral victories for the Ravens, as you can possibly diagnose uh and i want to move on to get to the random raven but I'll, I'll ask final thoughts on this game here final takeaways if any or if it's just good we're done with this week bring on you know the cowboys with a, a bit deeper of a roster moving forward i will i will say i was generally impressed you know you expected john harbaugh's teams to compete but i just didn't think they'd have what it took um but I think it almost this game speaks more to me to just how thoroughly unimpressed I am with the Steelers. I know we mentioned it earlier, but I, I, I'm i with you guys from early. I don't see they might get the number one overall seed. They might go 15-1, and one, but I don't see the path to them being the Chiefs. I think they're going to have an awfully hard time with a team like the Titans even. Um, I, I just was not impressed with them. And you mentioned that Roethlisberger throw on the third down. That was the most – that was easily outside of – the end of the half shenanigans easily the most aggravated I was this entire game because I was like it just brought back every flash of every dumb pull it out of his butt Ben Roethlisberger play just lobs it up should, should be picked like total lollipop and of course the one guy in the entire vicinity amongst three Ravens defenders comes down with it for a critical uh first down so I was very frustrated by that play but and uh, I, I don't think you could be. I don't ex- didn't expect Trace McSorley. Uh, looked it up by the way. Maddie Fresh uh, sings the tr- the rap song Trace McSorley. Uh, throw it on a dime like I ain't even trying. Just a kid from Briarwoods. I'm wearing number nine. Is a uh, part of the start of the chorus there. So um, 
Yeah, uh, I can't say I was too surprised by this result. I'm not impressed with the Steelers. Hope the Ravens get healthy, and I think they can still make a playoff run, but we shall see. For the uninitiated, McSorley wore number nine at Penn State. That's why. It's, they're not talking about Justin Tucker being able to pinpoint kick the ball through the uprights. Um, Which I, would be better, probably, yeah, arguably. I mean, I, I'd listen to that song. He'd sing it himself. <laughs> yeah, and it would be gorgeous. Um, a couple things. The Ravens have to stop with the illegal formation penalties. Uh, we lead the league in illegal formation penalties, which is ridiculous. I think it started with like that Eagles game when all when it all went to hell. That's got to stop. I know nobody was there. Yada yada. Young team, what have you, has to stop. I did like what I saw from Tristan Colon Castillo a bit. It you know it, it seemed like a lot of the pressure, if there was pressure, was coming from the edges. I mean, DJ Fluker, another guy that, oof, that guy's done. Um, but it wasn't up the middle, and that guy first first started center. I thought he did pretty well. Um, another guy I have to shout out to, a guy that we thought, you know, maybe was the odd man out. And you know what? He still might be because he's the fourth running back in a three-running back trio. But I thought Justice Hill did okay. Um, you know, it didn't, didn't light up the score by any chance, but you could see the shiftiness that, you know, he's he's probably got a little more speed and shiftiness than Dobbins. Certainly Dobbins is way better of a player, but there's that element to his game that none of the other three guys have. You know, nine carries, 35 yards, also a couple of receptions as well. I thought he did pretty, uh, I thought he did pretty well, so shout out to that. Um, yeah, as I texted the group, the infamous, when we get famous, we'll unlock a Patreon-level text group for Pod Like a Raven where you can join us for a game <laughs> or whatever. Um I can't wait to start my gambling addiction on betting against the Steelers in the playoffs. Uh, it's it's all downhill from there, but I'm going to make so much money betting against them and uh, whenever they face whoever they face. I don't care who it is. They are a joke. They are a sham of a team. There is no way that team is lifting the Lombardi trophy. I can't wait for somebody to get stairway to seven tattooed across their chest <laughs> and then have to get it laser removed because they were so wrong about what they think about this team. Um, Jace, you nailed the whole that third down play is, is everything, everything and more. And it's just, it was triggering <laughs> about all these things that I feel like I've mentally blocked in my head for years. And I'll just end it on this. Um, and this comes from actually a Steelers fan that I follow. And I listen to a podcast that he does that, trust me, not about the Steelers, about something else. Uh, he found this thing in the, in the NFL Reddit that I think is just the epitome of this rivalry. And I love some of these facts. Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh have faced each other 26 times in the regular season. They are 13 and 13, each of them. They have been in, the two coaches have combined for 27 seasons. They have posted records of 8 uh, and 8 or lower one time, or below 8 and 8, I should say, below 500, one time amongst the both of them. Obviously, that was us, but we don't talk about that. 20 of the 26 <laughs> matchups have been one score games. 11 of the first 12 matchups were decided by four or fewer points, and no team has swept the other in back-to-back seasons. Look, there's a reason we hate this game. There's a reason it's so frustrating. It's because it's always so damn good for the neutral point of view. And long may it continue, because you know what? A lot of NFL teams don't have a team that they can just hate on. Frankly, we have three now, which is annoying, but nothing. there's nothing like Ravens-Steelers on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Even a Saturday. Hell, you can play it whenever you want. Um, it, there's always going to be something special about that. 
Jace, hit us with your random raven for the week. Oh, we got, I don't think the hardest one in the world, but uh, a fun one we haven't done yet. So uh, this player was drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round of the 1999 NFL draft after a prolific career at Louisiana Lafayette. He spent the first four seasons of his career with the Ravens, as well as the final season of his career with the team in 2013. So he was there from 99 to 02, and then again in 2013. Um, Despite spending five years with the Ravens, he appeared in just 39 regular season games, and only once appeared in over 10 games in a season. He, this player then moved on to the Colts, the Broncos, the Seahawks, the Giants, the Broncos again before arriving with the Ravens for his final season in 2013. With Baltimore, he caught 73 passes and 7 touchdowns in the regular season, but he's best known by Ravens fans for scoring the first touchdown in the Super Bowl 35. Oh. Oh. Okay. Wow. I forgot he was back. The college makes sense. I forgot entirely that he came back, he came to, back? to the Ravens for that one season. I'll, if it was uh, even explain, an entire season. I'll explain how this player popped into my brain uh, when we get to it. It sounds like I I figured the final clue would kind of give it away, but uh, I tried to bury the lead a little there. The fact <laughs> we had very little information on what he did on the team for a while there. Two-time Super Bowl champion. The fact that he never played more than ten games, slightly surprising. Um... Yeah, you know what's weird? It's like he was in the league a long time, which is 1999 weird. 1999 to 2013. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you, I mean, you you revealed the clue about being with the Broncos, so I don't I don't feel bad about giving this little extra. Like he was on those Ravens teams from 99 to 02, and then caught passes from Peyton Manning in two different places. Like <laughs> very weird. Like, and that that feels like because I was growing up at that time, we all were growing up at that time, getting into our teenage years, late teenage years, what have you. That felt like a different era of NFL football. And this guy was just still around. And yeah, wow. I, I wouldn't have got it without the Super Bowl clue, but okay. All right. Good, good random <laughs> random. I like this. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I'll share why he's my choice uh, when we get to it. We will have that uh, explanation at the end of the episode. I want to do a quick recap, which we I I teased this in our uh, episode earlier this week. I wanted to save it here because we have a bit more space to do it here. Obviously, we're not doing any NFL uh, recaps. We did that. Check out our episode from just three days ago if you're interested in how uh, the week in the NFL was, but... Time to look at the playoff pictures for the NFC, for the AFC. We are now 11 games in, five games left to play. And there's still a lot of jockeying for, you know, for playoff spots. There's seven spots per conference this year for the first time. And I just want to get into it. And we'll start with the NFC because that's not quite as uh, captivating for Ravens fans. We'll do a quick NFC recap first and then turn to the AFC. So I'm going to run through the NFC playoff picture right now. I'm going to turn to my co-hosts and ask them which teams do they think could drop out? Which teams do they think could make sort of a surge here? What the heck's going to happen in the NFC East? Uh, Open reign here on, on, on what you want to talk about in the NFC, but I'll run through it quickly. The Saints chugging along at 9-2, and two, currently uh, with the one seed, uh, a game 
lead for that first round bye. The Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, and the New York Giants are seeds 2, 3, and 4. With the wild card spots currently being fought by the LA Rams at 7 and 4, Tampa Bay Bucks at 7 and 5, the Cardinals with that last spot right now at 6 and 5, and then the three theoretical teams, the Minnesota Vikings 5 and 6, Chicago Bears 5 and 6 going in the wrong direction, and then San Francisco still hanging around also at 5 and 6. Guys, which teams do you love in the NFC? Which teams do you think may make a little move? And which teams do you think have a chance to drop out entirely out of the playoffs by the end of the regular season? If any team's in trouble there, I think it's got to be the Cardinals um, from the wild card. Uh, they're 6-5, and five, and they still have to play uh, the Rams twice, as well as the 49ers. They do play, however. The Giants, who, uh, as you mentioned, are at one of those things, was not like the other when you read through the list of 8-2 and two and... Uh, you know, seven and th- eight and three teams atop the NFC, and then the Giants at four and seven. But they've looked at least half competent at times, and the uh, Cardinals' other games, the Eagles. Um, so I think just based on that, and the the, the Bucks uh, play the Vikings. So that's uh, actually this week or uh, next week, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Bucks are on a bye this week. Um, so uh, you know, that game will go a really long way to kind of shaking everything out because the Vikings, I think, are really I I can't. I think I think the Niners are very well coached. I think the Niners have some talent. I just think they're too banged up. I don't really see their run happening. The Bucks play the Falcons twice, and also the Lions, who just fired their coach and GM. So uh, two uh, two teams completely in flux there. And if they can beat the Vikings, that kind of seals it up for the Bucks. Um, so I think really the Cardinals are only the the only real realistic uh, option to drop out in the NFC, but. Uh, and I don't really know that I want them to. I'd much rather have Kyler Murray than just Kirk Cousins in the like the final playoff spot again, like we saw last year. You know, so um, yeah, I think the Cardinals are the only one that might, but I, I, I'm not even sure if I see that really. I mean, the Cardinals have been slipping, and you talk about having a bad coach. Cliff Kingsbury's a bad coach. We talked about this a couple days ago, um, in terms of game managing, situational awareness, Lana, and. You know, those type of things. He's just, he doesn't understand how these type of things work. Now, offensively, they're great. And Kyler Murray, I mean, the Kyler Murray for MVP thing died very quickly. Uh, he had a little bit of a rise, and then he's, he's struggled a lot. He's been hurt. I mean, Jace, you nailed it. This week coming up on Sunday, it's Rams-Cardinals, and at the very end of the season, last game of the year, it's Cardinals-Rams. Those two are probably going to decide, they might decide, who from that division goes right now there's three teams could very well be three teams. Cause I think that's the best division or one of the best divisions in football right now. Um, but the Rams, man, they've got the two Cardinals games. They have a game against the Seahawks, a game against the Patriots. You never know. And then they have the jets. Well, so that's a win. So, well, and we, one thing I think we should just say, and that might make the Rams' path a little more difficult, is they are shutting things down left and right in California. Um, and we've already have seen the 49ers are just playing in Arizona in the next few weeks. Uh, State Farm Stadium is going to be their home site. And I wonder if the Rams might face a similar situation in a, a week or a few weeks here. So that might complicate their path. Yeah, that's, um, that's a very... Not to disparage Arizona. It certainly seems like their state's going to remain open, kind of regardless. But, um, 
Yeah, so that's just something to keep in mind, too, with all this, is it definitely seems like it's possible at least the Rams might get uprooted in a way. Uh, the team's trailing them. The, certainly the Tampa Bay Bucks aren't going anywhere, and uh, Arizona as well uh, likely won't have to do any relocating. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. I still think the Rams are probably better, though, Tim. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's something to I, I, I agree. Fair. I mean, Jared Goff can be good or horrific. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's the thing. That's the wild card there. And, like, Again, the NFC is just bad. It's just bad. Um, when you look at the Cardinals, they still have the Eagles and Giants on their schedule, as well as uh, the two games against the Rams and the 49ers, who I, I kind of agree with you, Jace. You know, they've got the Bills on Monday night. Then they have the football team, the Cowboys, then the Cardinals, and then the Seahawks. So it's a very mix of, like, good and bad there. Um, you know, all this being said, I kind of tend to agree with you, but I don't know. The Vikings are kind of rolling. They're they're kind of good. Like, they're figuring stuff out. It's, it's weird to say after what was an 0-5 start. Here's the rest of their schedule, Antonio, before you go. Here's the rest of their schedule. They play the Jaguars this week. Should be a win. The Buccaneers, who knows which Bucks team is going to show up. The Bears, bad. The Saints, <laughs> you know, Drew Brees is supposed to be back at that point, but who knows how much they have to play for, yada, yada, yada. They'll probably still be playing for something in, in – in week 16, but who really knows? And then they end the season with the Lions. That's a very good opponent to end your season on if you need to get a win and in. So the Vikings are one to watch. The NFC West is tough, and I'm not even going to give a modicum of thought to the NFC East because who cares? <laughs> yeah, Tim, you. I was going to dive in with the Vikings as a team that could be a little scary. They started 1-5 to start the year, have won four out of their last five, you touched on the schedule there. If Arizona struggles in both, let's say they lose both games to the Rams. That's big. They're 6-5. and five. There's a very realistic situation that the Cardinals finish something like 7-9, and 8-8 eight and eight kind of situation. Minnesota, meanwhile, will have that Jags game, will be 6-6. Six and six. Can they go 9-7? and seven? You know, can they, can they take a couple of those games? Can they take three of their last four? Um... And, and sneak in as a seven seed. They, they've so obviously settled into the offense. Kirk Cousins has looked better. Dalvin Cook is a beast. Um, I kind of think that Minnesota could be that, you know, that under 500 team that then makes that surge. People then go wildly over the top with them in the playoffs as uh, this is the team you don't want to play. And then that team immediately flames out in the first round of the playoffs. But for now, I do, th- I think the Rams stick. I think Tampa Bay sticks. Arizona has less and less time to figure things out with uh, the Vikings breathing down their necks. All right, let's turn to the AFC now, where the Ravens are very much involved in the hunt for the <laughs> wild card spot at the moment on the outside looking in. But as we have talked about on this show numerous times, with a very, very favorable end of the year schedule. But I'll run through the teams now. <sighs> It's Pittsburgh at the top, uh, the worst 11-0 NFL team in history. Kansas City with the second seed at 10-1. Tennessee, Buffalo, and Cleveland are 3-4-5, all three of those teams with 8-3 records. Miami Dolphins at 7-4 with the sixth seed. And the Indianapolis Colts also at 7-4, hanging on to that seventh seed, one game behind the Titans in the NFC South. And then the mess of who is fighting for the wild card seed. It's the Raiders at six and five, the 
the Ravens, also at 6-5, and five, currently behind Las Vegas uh, in terms of a tiebreaker. And then those Patriots, who are technically in the hunt at 5-6. and six, I said this in our previous episode. They will not go to the postseason. So help me God. They're 5-6. and six, <laughs> There's too many teams ahead of them. But in theory, they could make a run late. And if they finish 10-6, and six, if they run the table and go 10-6, and six, uh, they could, in theory, they would probably get a playoff spot. But that's cer- certainly tough sledding for them. Guys, thoughts on the AFC... How many games do the Ravens have to win of these last five to get a play? I'm not going to say guarantee because obviously in theory you would say they have to win out and they guarantee themselves a playoff spot. But how many realistically do you think they're going to need to get in um, to one of these wild card spots? And and what movement do you think could happen in the AFC with some other teams? For the Ravens, I'm going to say five. I really think it's down to that at this point Um, because it is so bloated. You're talking about... As much as it pains me to say, I think the Browns are making the playoffs. Um, they don't really have a – I have, don't have their schedule in front of me, but I believe it is relatively easy. Um, soft. Yeah, it it's is. soft. It is soft as, you know. <laughs> they play the Giants and Jets. So. All right, so that's all you need to know. They also have <laughs> – They already have eight wins. They so. also have the Titans, you know, Ravens, Browns, Monday, what, the 14th and a couple – and a couple of 11 days here now, barring – you know, if that actually goes off on the day it's supposed to, who knows? That is a huge game for the Ravens. And, hope you know, honestly, for the first time in a while, it might be a bigger game for the Ravens than it is for the Browns, which might be positive uh, for Baltimore. I think they need to run the table. Now, let's let's look at this a little bit. Um, there are four teams or there are three teams outside of Baltimore that I'm kind of worried about. I think that. Browns, Bills, Titans, Chiefs, Steelers are all in the playoffs. I think five of those slots are already done. So it comes down to the final two slots. And somebody could could jump the Browns in that fifth spot, whatever, but I think they're in at eight and three already. The Dolphins are still playing Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Tua is hurt. I don't know if there's an update there, admittedly. Um, and he played well against the Jets, but it's the Jets. They have the Bengals. But outside of the Bengals this week, the Dolphins have the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Raiders, and the Bills. That is a murderer's row of opponents there. And for me, they're one of the teams I think could drop out. The other team that I think could drop out, I'm going to say it, I think it's the Colts. Because I just don't, I watched them play the Ravens. And who boy, it was bad. Now, I'm not saying both of these guys drop out. But you have two games against the Texans who are frisky. Deshaun Watson, I don't care how bad the Texans are. I know Will Fuller just got suspended. Trust me, I'm going to lose my fantasy league that's worth some money because he got suspended. I'm very aware of this. Two games against the Texans, that's frisky. The Raiders, on not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, is a massive game. Colts, Raiders, for playoff positioning. Whoever wins that's going to be in the driver's seat. Then they have the Steelers, who are most likely still going to have the Chiefs breathing down their neck. The only saving grace for the Colts is that they have the Jaguars at the end of the year. If they need a win, that might help them. Now, again, I know I'm probably putting a little too much stock in the Texans, but it's a division game. Those two teams don't like each other, yada, yada, yada. Read all that for what you will. The Raiders here, the Raiders are what's interesting because, guys, John Gruden can coach. Like, he's getting paid way too much money, and it was a joke at the time, but that's a decent football team if Derek Carr just doesn't do something stupid. Uh, Josh Jacobs, I love. I know he's 
He got hurt. I don't know how long he's out, which could be an issue here. But they have Jets. They have the Chargers, who love shooting themselves in the foot. And they have the Broncos. Their other two opponents that they have are the Colts and the Dolphins, two teams that we've already talked about. If they can split those Colts-Dolphins and win out, the Raiders put themselves in a great position. But for Baltimore, I honestly think it's five. I really do. And maybe maybe that's just me trying to be like five and we're safe. But because the AFC is so good, because it changes week to week, I think they really got to get healthy, get practicing, and run the table if they want to get one of these playoff breaks. Yeah, I think that's like a perfect summation, Tim. The Dolphins definitely jumped out to me as the team that could probably fall out. You know, Tua is banged up, and if he comes back, he's still a rookie quarterback. I know he's got the high pedigree, um, but he just hasn't played that much, uh, uh, and we don't know as much about him at this point. Um, And that's a tough schedule for them. So I think if a team falls, it will be them. I think it... I still think the Colts get in, though. Um, I think I think it's going to come down to, for the Ravens, between the Dolphins and the Raiders, uh, if they can beat them out. And I, I, I kind of tend to agree that, I mean, to, to just be safe, I think you want to win all five. Um, I think even with all the issues the Ravens have had, uh, if they don't win at least four... <laughs> they should win their four of their last five games. Like regardless of how banged up is, I guess unless RG three starting, but they, <laughs> they should win four of these last five. And I really think the only game that should even be especially, you know, worrisome that they'll drop is that Browns game. Um, I'm and but I'm in agreement. I think the Browns are too far ahead at this point, but it's certainly, it's weird because on the one hand, I think like, oh, the Ravens aren't going to make the playoffs. I didn't see them in this position before the season. But I think it's just because the AFC is really, you know, really, really deep this year. Because I think back, I think we all said they would go somewhere between 11 and 5 and 12 and 4. And obviously 12 and 4 is out, but they went out there 11 and 5. And that's still a pretty good season. Um, so as dire as I think things look for the Ravens right now, uh, I'm still kind of optimistic they'll, if not run the table, win four of their last five and you know you'd like a little more control of your destiny but that's kind of all you can ask for in the nfl it's such a competitive league such so much parity so um i definitely think it's going to come down to the dolphins uh and the raiders but i still i still have a good bit of uh i know in the the infamous group chat we've mentioned i floated the idea if it would be good for the ravens to miss the playoffs but after sleeping on it i'm 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 pretty comfortable this team can still compete uh for a playoff spot and at the very least uh you know watching wednesday's game i think affirms how much uh or at least how good lamar jackson is even good for his relative you know his struggles quote unquote this season it's like oh yeah he's he's so much better than anything else they could possibly do so if they get lamar back he's the number one key for this team if he's back for the cowboys game i think they win four of their last five and at least are in position to get in. Third and nine never felt so impossible as it did with <laughs> RG3 and Trace McSorley in that Steelers game. But looking at the AFC, I agree with, with most of what you guys said. I think Miami is the team to drop out. They are, gonna not, they are not going to be favored in their last four games. Um, and that would, if they do lose all four of those, which I think is very possible, they will be out. 
the Raiders, the schedule looks good, but do we have any faith in the Raiders? Every year, it seems, right around this point, they're floating, they're hovering, they could be in the mix, they could be interesting, and then they lose some games late, and they end up out of the playoffs. I think we've seen this so many times, and they just got crushed by the Falcons on the Like, what happened? That was, they lost by the, the, 37 the biggest, points. Yeah, the biggest blowout of the season. It made no sense. <laughs> so I just don't know what what's a guarantee. Would you bet the mortgage on them against the Jets in New York? And it's the Jets, and we have no idea. So I just they will they will mess something up in my opinion at some point in their next five games, maybe more than once. And I I just don't I haven't seen their pedigree as we talk about these pedigree teams. I haven't seen it from them yet in terms of December victories. Uh, and until I see it, I, I think they may be a team that just is on the outside looking in as well. As for the Cleveland thing, with them being eight and three and ahead of the Ravens now, they're you know technically ahead two games ahead. But if the Ravens win their head-to-head matchup, the Ravens will then have the tiebreaker. I think it is in play that the Browns lose to the Titans, lose to the Ravens, lose to the Steelers, and end with six losses. And the Ravens could then end with five or six losses, have the tiebreaker, and be ahead of Cleveland. Uh, which <laughs> Tim is breathing a, what I think oh, is a sigh of relief. My heart can only we take can so still much say joy. My heart can only that the Ravens so were ahead joy. of the Browns to end the 2020 season, which is a big deal for for some of us Ravens fans. That's a very important small victory to have, and I think it's very possible. I do think the Ravens can go 4-1. and one. I think six losses, they will be in the playoffs just because of how weird the NFL is, the volatility. None of these teams are you know, going to win all their games, the teams ahead of the Ravens, I should say. And I think it's possible that it ends up with Ravens, Colts, Browns somewhere in those final three. If I had to pick three, that's sort of where I would settle for the three wildcard spots. With the Ravens potentially being the fifth seed, you know, and, and then Cleveland and Indianapolis following those two. So that's sort of where I'm at. It would be a lot easier if the Ravens won out, but it would certainly, <laughs> the first step is winning a game because the Ravens have now lost three in a row. So let's move on to this Cowboys game now because that's the first order of business. It's one game at a time and the Ravens have to get off of this three game losing streak. And the Cowboys come at the perfect time because they're bad. Uh, they're technically in the hunt in the NFC East, so they've gotten way more chatter. They're also the Dallas Cowboys, so they've gotten way more chatter than they should. They're a bad team. They have a backup quarterback in. Their point differential this season is minus 108. (laughs) That's not good. That's second worst in the league, only to the New York Jets, which I almost don't want to say. Theirs is like minus 180 or minus 190. So the Jets have been the worst team in the NFL for... For some time now, but right after them, in theory, is the Dallas Cowboys. So I turn to you guys now with the preview of this game. The Ravens hosting the Cowboys. They are seven-point favorites with the absolute assumption that Lamar Jackson is off the COVID list for this game. At the moment, that is not officially the case yet. He's going to have to pass some protocols, you would assume, that he's going to be in there at some point practicing maybe Sunday or Monday but at the moment, we cannot say for sure he's the starter. But let's pretend that he is for the preview purposes. Thoughts on this Cowboys game and uh, the Andy Dalton-led Dallas Cowboys? 
Well, so you said with Lamar, and I absolutely think uh, they saw enough from RG3. You know, I believe uh, uh, Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins technically were cleared um, to play in Wednesday's game, but they held them out kind of as a precaution. They didn't have any practice time. Uh, they're they're not going to do that with Lamar. They're just going to throw him into the fire uh, because he's Lamar Jackson. He's the reigning MVP. And probably most importantly, he's not Robert Griffin III. I think you saw enough of that Wednesday. Um, so I, I, I am fairly confident actually assuming Lamar's in, in, um, you know, relative to what the Ravens offense has been this year. Uh, the Cowboys are the 32nd ranked run defense, which seems to, uh, bode well for the Ravens, uh, to, in this game. And I imagine, you know, if Lamar has extremely limited practice time, assuming he's in, they're going to lean on the run. They're probably not going to ask him to do too much passing. Um, I bet. And so assuming he's back, I think they're going to pound the rock, try to just keep it away from Andy Dalton, who, as you have mentioned, weirdly effective against the Ravens over the years. He's eight and eight against Baltimore in his career, 56% uh, completion, which is probably lower than you think, but 21 TDs, 18 picks, um, outside of the Cleveland Browns about the most success he's had against any team in terms of like total games played. Um, but so the, obviously we know what Andy Dalton has done to the Ravens in the past, but I do think the Cowboys are just, you've said, bad. They're a bad team. This is a horrible team that just got trounced by the Washington football team on Thanksgiving in, with fans in the stands uh, in Dallas. So um, I like to, I view this as a Ravens kind of get right game, quote unquote. Uh, I think they're going to run the ball a lot. I think they're not going to make anything too complicated. And most importantly, I think you uh, you, you don't beat yourself. Because the Cowboys also, uh, they're 32nd in points against as well and have the 31st takeaway differential. So they are they turn the ball over. They don't get a ton of turnovers themselves. So you take care of the ball. Uh, you, uh, you take care of the ball by running the ball. And I think that kind of takes care of itself. And you probably win this game. Uh, you nailed it. Let's see. Let's see. With a little practice and with your quarterback back, let's see a little bit of tempo to this offense. Um, you know, we've talked over and over again about the disjointedness that we keep getting with this offense a little bit. Let's stop that, get back to it, and pound the ball down their throat over and over again. Make it a very simple game. Make it four yards, six yards, three yards, seven yards, four yards, three yards, eight yards, 15 yards on the big one. Over and over and over again until they're going back crying into Jerry's uh, soup because they're just so <laughs> upset that they've just been humiliated on the football field. That, that's what you need from the offense. And then quickly from the defense, I mean, look, it's Andy Dalton. It's not Dak Prescott. Um, I, I, am, I have zero worry about Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> um, anytime that Marlon Humphrey meets him for a tackle, I think it's guaranteed to be a fumble. I think – <laughs> Marlon Humphrey might break the record for forced fumbles if he gets enough shots at Ezekiel Elliott uh, in a single game here because the guy can't hold on to the football. He's probably the most overplayed player in the league, in my opinion. Um, I think it's Pollard, their other running back, who's frankly, in my opinion, better than Elliott at this point. But the receivers, the receivers mentioning Marlon Humphrey, uh, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, they have another couple guys too, are very, very good. It's the strong point of this Dallas Cowboys team. And let's see if the secondary steps up again. That defense needs to step up and play just as well as it did against an offense who, I don't know, has some stars, but is probably on the same level, if not worse than Pittsburgh, you would think. 
they need to have that same motivation of, yeah, Lamar's back. Yeah, we've got some of our guys back, but we still have to play with this anger and this fire that they did against Pittsburgh. If they do that, man, and the, the offense runs the ball effectively, that's it. That's game. And I, I think that that, you know, for me, I'll just say it now, that's that's Ravens minus seven in a landslide for me. And I'm, and I'm not somebody who likes taking the Ravens with a touchdown or more spread, but I think it's a good get-right game for Baltimore. The issue of the running game is a good one. This You want this to be the get-back-on-track game for a lot of different reasons, but in that Steelers game, I had very few negatives uh, based on the situation. But one thing that, in theory, could have gone a little better, the running game on first down was a disaster in the Steelers game. The Ravens, I feel like they... I mean, I don't have the official stats, but it seemed like they were getting one yard per carry in a first and 10 situation where they loved running it on first down because they wanted to avoid RG3 throwing it at all costs and they could not gain any traction against the Steelers defense on first down. Obviously you have way more guys healthy in this game. The level of competition is way lower, but prove it now, right? That Just don't go from one yard to three yards, go from one yard on first down to five yards on first down um, and take so much pressure off of the Ravens defense, which has had to show up for a few weeks in a row now. I think the matchup, Tim, as you said, is is between the receivers, the Cowboys receivers, and the Ravens secondary. That's where there's the most talent on both sides of the ball. That's where it's, in theory, you know, the most evenly matched uh, sort of fight in terms of two sides of uh, of both of these teams. And it's going to fall on Andy Dalton, who unfortunately has had way too much success against the Ravens over the years. I have like half of a fear of Dalton being annoyingly good in this one game because he's extremely familiar with the Ravens. I have these nightmares of the Cowboys' strong receivers with yards after the catch uh, and the you know the poor tackling nightmares of a few weeks ago coming back to haunt this team. But even with that, it just doesn't seem like it would be enough for the Cowboys to threaten in this game. If Lamar Jackson is back, we are assuming that at the moment. I'm taking the Ravens, minus seven. I think they just pound the rock over and over and over again. I think they're able to snap the ball effectively on every down, which was nice in the Steelers game, which is something that unfortunately we weren't used to seeing. And with that, we limit the turnovers, pound the rock, 200 rushing yards for the Ravens, and they win this game handily by double digits. I kind of mentioned it already, but in terms of you know pounding the ball running the ball a lot. Um, we should say, uh, just due to the timing of their tests, uh, they will basically be without Lamar Jackson's two biggest security blankets uh, in Mark Andrews and Willie Sneed in the passing game. So that seems to me like it's a prime prime position to run the ball even more than you were. Uh, maybe, you know, get Dez uh, a TD against his old team. That'd be fun. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so and and then we should also say just on the defensive side, the other guy who won't uh, will not have been quarantined long enough and won't be cleared is uh, Matthew Judon, um, who I can't say I really felt strongly about missing in the game against the Steelers, but uh, I'll, I'll do my pick now too. Similar to Tim, I am taking the Ravens at the minus seven. Um, not super confident that they'll they'll cover the spread, but I do. I'm very confident they will win this game. Um, uh, I think the Cowboys are really bad. And I think even with all the issues the Ravens have had this year, 
uh, in terms of losing games, in terms of battling COVID, there's still a lot of talent on this team, and we saw it against the Steelers, so that's why I'm picking them this week. Yeah, one other thing I, I want to mention that I forgot is the Zeke Elliott numbers, they're bad. I, I know, Tim, you already mentioned that he has not looked good this season for whatever reason, whether it's the COVID issues that he's had, whether you just shouldn't be paying running backs, but the yards per game have now gone down every season from his rookie year. He he <laughs> averaged 108 rushing yards per game as a rookie and that has declined it was 84 last year it is 64 yards per game right now he has really struggled and has absolutely had the case of the uh i was gonna say the dropsies but i guess i guess it's more the fumbles than the drops um but i i want to see the ravens continue some success against a weaker uh dallas running game than than we've seen in a long time uh i'm gonna jump into my picks is my actual picks for the rest of the NFL here unless you guys have any final thoughts on this Cowboys game last week the gambling week has now finally finished uh, with the Ravens game on Wednesday finished one and two uh, a bittersweet one and two because I would have finished two and one had the Ravens not had their late cover in that game against the Steelers with the deep Hollywood Brown touchdown cutting that game it was a 10 the line of 10 with the Ravens obviously covering. So 1-2, and two, 18 and 11 now on the season. Feeling pretty good about picks for this week. I'm taking, as we said, the Ravens, minus 7. I have three team tees, which I have done throughout the season. I'm saying it now. I'm saying it uh, with a little softer voice because this is one of the three team teases that has gotten my attention. And if you have any thoughts about driving to Pennsylvania if you don't live there and and making a wager (laughs) where it's legal to do so, and some other states as well. This is a three-team tease that I really like. The Las Vegas Raiders are playing the Jets. That line is 8.5. Do I like it at 8.5? No, because I don't trust the the Raiders. Do I like it at minus 2.5? Yes. So the three-team tease is six points. The Raiders are moved to minus 2.5 versus the Jets. The Packers are eight and a half point favorites against the Eagles at home. I'm putting that down to minus two and a half for Green Bay. And Pittsburgh, I'm moving their line against the Washington football team from minus eight to minus two. You have three favorites, two of them home favorites, with lines of less than a field goal. I love this three team teaser. Raiders, minus two and a half. Packers, minus two and a half. Steelers, minus two. And then I'm throwing another pick in here that I think somebody else will also have later on, and I think it's a great one. It's the Buffalo Bills minus one at the San Francisco 49ers, but the at part is what intrigues me about this bet, because it is not in San Francisco, as Jace mentioned earlier. This game will be in Arizona, so it is not a home game in any way, shape, or form for the 49ers. The Bills, in theory, that flight is a little bit shorter than that full West Coast flight that you would have to have. So I love the Bills, minus one Monday night against the 49ers. Yeah, real quickly, I have that as well. Um, You nailed it. And the Bills are still fighting for playoff seeding and want to secure that division. They still have a lot to play for. I know they can be a little up and down, but I think the Bills, you know, San Fran, good team, good coach, but injuries and relocation, only minus one and fine. Um and then my other one is not necessarily a pick for New England, but it's a pick against Anthony Lynn. New England is a pick away to the L.A. Chargers. 
who we all love Justin Herbert, but we all kind of agree that Anthony Lynn is just not a very good football coach, and the Chargers are great at screwing things up. And you know who's not very uh, – or who's very good at not screwing things up, I should say? It's Bill Belichick. Um, I know, obviously, the Patriots aren't what they have been in the past, but this game is a pick em. There's no spread. There's no minus one and a half, two and a half, three and a half, whatever it was, which would scare me away. I'm picking the New England Patriots, yes, to beat a rookie quarterback and a bad football coach in Anthony Lynn. Simple as that. So I have have adjusted one of my picks uh, on the air. Antonio convinced me. Uh, I was I was slightly intrigued by that Raiders minus eight point five line, uh, but just their their loss to the Falcons was so inexcusable. And I'm often of the mind that like. Is a team really going to go 0-16? I don't know. It's so hard to not win one game in the NFL. And the Jets are really horrible, but I don't know that we can favor the Raiders by more than seven against anyone. So I switched up. Uh, I've inserted the Chiefs uh, as minus 14, as 14-point favorites. The reason being, the last time the Chiefs and the Denver Broncos played, the Chiefs hammered them 43-16. And (laughs) I do not know... Uh, exactly what the Broncos' COVID situation is with their QBs, but it does not seem like it's in a perfect place. Uh, even if Drew Locke's back, uh, Denver seems like they have problems, probably trending towards firing a coach again. Um, I just like the Chiefs in this spot. It's kind of been a while since the Chiefs have really kind of gone off and hammered a team, um, even though they kind of ran away you know, with that first half against the Bucks, that somehow ended up being a three-point game. The Raiders, that was a four-point win. They beat the Panthers by two. So it's it's been a, it's been about a month since we've really seen the Chiefs kind of hammer a team, and they need to keep pace with the Steelers. So I think they're we're going to see uh, the Chiefs' best uh, at home against uh, you know probably their if not the Raiders, one of their biggest rivals. Um, and then the final pick I am doing is we mentioned them a little earlier. I'm picking the Tennessee Titans minus five point five at home against the Cleveland Browns. Um, I have just not been impressed with the Browns in any way recently. Their string of narrow victories over bad teams. Um, so because of that, I'm, I'm picking the Titans. I've, I've been impressed with them. And uh, I think they're going to be a pretty a pretty uh, tough out kind of down the stretch and into the playoffs. So I just think the Titans are a lot better than the Browns. And so I'm going with the Titans minus 5.5. Derrick Henry. Against the Cleveland Browns defense, I'm curious to see it. Nobody really has been able to stop him for most of this season, so we'll see if the Browns are able to do it. All right, last thing to do. Jace, you're going to run through your random Raven clues one more time, and then we'll get out of here. Yes, and I have a bonus clue, too, for you I saved for fun here. Um, This player was drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round of the 1999 NFL Draft after a prolific career at Louisiana Lafayette. He spent the first four seasons of his career with the Ravens, as well as the final season of his career with the team in 2013. Despite spending five years with the Ravens, he appeared in just 39 regular season games, only once appearing in over 10 games in a season. After leaving the Ravens in 2 he moved on to the Colts, then the Broncos, the Seahawks, the Giants, the Broncos again, before returning to the Ravens for his final season in 2013. With Baltimore, he caught 73 passes and 7 touchdowns in the regular season, but he's best known to Ravens fans for scoring the first touchdown in Super Bowl 35 on a catch uh, on receiving end of a touchdown from Trent Dilfer. And the bonus clue is Pro Football Reference says one of his nicknames was The Slot Machine. 
how uh well i guess i was gonna say how 90s but i guess how early 2000s whenever that nickname may have been first yeah, uh, implemented I, I i can't recall it ever being a thing maybe that one season uh he uh the the player in question well i'll let you name him but uh he uh he teamed up with reggie wayne and marvin harrison i believe to be the only set of teammates to each have or at least first have 10 touchdowns each or something so yeah random guy throughout nfl history <laughs> Yeah, uh, I feel like he was that guy that Ravens fans liked probably a little too much. I mean, yeah, he had a touchdown in a Super Bowl, but he wasn't really that good. Nor was the Ravens offense for those years. So, you know, I guess you you play with the cards that you're dealt. But this is a legend, a random, a legendary random Raven, and that is the Brandon Stokely, who uh, is. then caught passes from Peyton Manning for, for several years on multiple yeah. teams, so much better than what he had to deal with in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, he was on the uh, the receiving end, I believe, actually, of Peyton's uh, record-breaking 49th touchdown when uh, he bro- when Manning broke uh, Dan Marino's record in 04. Uh, yeah, he went to the Broncos, and then was around with, I believe, the Kyle Orton, Jake Plummer Broncos <laughs> for a few years. Was apparently on the uh, the 2011 Super Bowl champion Giants for all of two games. Back to the Broncos in 2012 when the Ravens beat them in the playoffs. Uh, and then, a thing I did not remember and why I chose him this week. I had no recollection of Brandon Stokely being a member of the 2013 Ravens. Um, but I was watching NFL Throwback, a wonderful YouTube channel. Uh, posts old highlights from games and highlight packages and stuff. They posted the game, uh, the Ravens-Steelers game from Thanksgiving 2013. Most infamous, perhaps, for Mike Tomlin standing on the field uh, during Jacoby Jones' kickoff return uh, that may or may not have prevented him from scoring a touchdown. But in watching that video, Brandon Stokely caught at least two passes, and I said, what? (laughs) And I had to look it up, because I had zero recollection of him being on that team he played in six games only had 13 receptions that final season but uh yeah i did not recall him coming back once so i i had to make him the random raven because i it's not too often you get the two separate stints raven especially kind of a guy you know he had uh 397 career receptions 39 touchdowns uh overall obviously doing a lot of that work away from the ravens but uh yeah, very random guy, and I I just was blown away that he was on the 2013 team because that <laughs> I have, obviously I remember watching the Super Bowl 35 that touchdown right up the seam, uh, but yeah, Dad could not remember this guy being on the team a separate time. <laughs> Three time Super Bowl champ Brandon Stokely. <laughs> With I, I pulled up his page a thousand yards receiving in 2004 with the Colts. While only starting three games, if that's not a Peyton Manning era wide receiver, I don't know who is. Uh, Jace, that's a, a phenomenal random Raven. Uh, and that's about it for us uh, this week. Our second episode of the week. Thank you guys for uh, for sticking with us, for checking in with us. Both episodes this week. A weird seven days or nine days in uh, in Ravens football, but ready to get off the schneid. Ready for the wins to, to come piling back in for this team. Lamar Jackson, please get better. Please feel better. Please have some negative tests. And we will hope to see you and the rest of a healthier Baltimore Ravens on Tuesday night against the Dallas Cowboys. For Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Barbera. 
Thank you so much for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.